Welcome to For the Health of It, Because You Can, where host Susan Robinson dives into the eight categories of wellness with experts from various fields. We offer tips and information to help you thrive in all areas of individual wellness. Welcome to part two of our interview with Dr. Brian Luke Seward, where we've been discussing stress management and the effects of the pandemic. Um, So the next topic that's kind of comes from this, I think some people that are somatizers or um, that type of person is the they don't know how to set healthy boundaries. And I know you've been advocating for healthy boundaries, you know, for years. So could you explain what this is and why it's so important to set healthy boundaries? Yes. Again, great topic. And and this is, I think, this is the foundation of all health and wellness programming. I, I personally, I think so. Um, and the reason why is this, but first let me describe what healthy boundaries are. Healthy boundaries are appropriate behaviors. And I think we all can realize that there are definitely inappropriate behaviors. You know, when cell phones first came out, you'd see signs in the movie theater saying, don't use your cell phone to talk during a movie, okay? Because that's inappropriate behavior. Um, but now we see all kinds of inappropriate behaviors, and you know, we, you know, whether someone gives the, the the bird driving by or something like that, that's inappropriate too. You know, the list is endless. Um, but healthy boundaries are a way to give some kind of structure to our lives. And what I typically say is that when you were a kid, your parents everyone's parents gave the kids healthy boundaries because otherwise the kids will walk all over the parents. Kids are pushing for freedom. Parents give boundaries. They give responsibility. Like you got to go to bed at eight o'clock at nighttime, whether you're, you're sleepy or not, you go to bed at eight o'clock at nighttime. You know, you don't eat dessert first. You eat your, your meal first. If you have room, then you do dessert. Uh, so this whole idea of boundaries is appropriate behaviors. But when we become 18, then there's no one telling us what the behaviors are. We got to figure out for ourselves. And so here's where I ask people to do a little inventory in the course of your life and ask yourself, where can you pull the reins in? And we need healthy boundaries with all kinds of things, whether it's with eating habits, sleep habits, technology habits, uh, relationships, um, exercise, you name it. So where is one area in your life you can pull the reins in? And, uh, you know, for some people on New Year's Eve, they say, oh, I'm going to do this now because I'm going to start the year brand new or or a new month. Or when I turn 40 or 50, there's always some big anniversary date to make a a big life change. These are not necessarily big life changes. These can be small ones just to do um, to bring yourself back to balance again. And I'll give you one example because um, I see a lot of problems with technology right now with with screen devices. Um, Most people take their cell phones to bed with them which I would like to discourage because uh, of all kinds of reasons. But one is um, if you're constantly scrolling through your, your, um, your, your social media, you're wiring your brain for stress. And what we typically tell people is have a media curfew. Put the phone outside the bedroom two hours before you go to bed. That's a healthy boundary. Good. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I hear stories all the time of people that have their phones with, with them in the bed scrolling right before they go to sleep. And that's a whole other thing because I talk about the pineal gland <laughs> that I've read from your work, yeah. um, you know, that that stops, produ- stops producing melatonin, which is what helps you sleep. So yeah. I wonder, because you mentioned about it seems like our work-life balance seems to be 24-7. 
Um, I do worry about um, the people that do work from home, even though it's convenient to be able to get up and put on your sweatpants or stay in your pajamas, you know, to work. Um, but I know it's in our DNA to connect to people, and we don't really connect when we're not looking eye to eye, in, in which, you know, even digital meetings, yes, we're, we're talking almost like we're live in the same room, but but yet we're not, because we're not really looking at each other. But I, I really want to hear what you have to say about the work-life balance, and you have a new term for it, which I'm interested in. Yes, you know, the term that um, I hear is work-life integration. But another term I hear is work-life wisdom, and that you know we don't want to uh, to always be tied to our screen device. We want to have some separation, have some again healthy boundaries with that. And so um, this idea of work-life balance is um, now something that when people go to a company and they do an interview, they'll ask the, the people who are being interviewed will ask the interviewer how where do you stand with work-life balance? Is this a priority for you? Because some companies, they think that you should be working there and be at your their beck and call all the time. And so I now see the Generation Z and, and Millennium saying, we're not buying that anymore. We need to have time for ourselves. So work-life balance is um, something which says, uh, you know, whether it's idea of you know eight hours that we do work and the other uh, eight hours we sleep and the third set of eight hours we do for family and and personal stuff, there needs to be that uh, that that magical alchemy that we're not always at someone's beck and call with what they call the electronic leash or the, the screen device. We're always um, uh, attached to that and and don't have that that um, healthy boundary with technology. Part of work life balance is implementing healthy boundaries. The two go hand in hand. And and what we now see with people who've been working from home, that rather than having a distinct time period, let's say like you know, nine to five, you know, they may check their email and do a few things when they wake up in the morning at 7.30. They may take a half an hour to go jogging. They may bring the kids to school, but they may also come back at, um, at six and seven o'clock at nighttime and do a few things for reports and things because they've had a sense to kind of parse things out and to, to, um, to have a sense of balance that way, which I, th- I think is great. Um, they're not exactly punching time cards anymore like we used to in the old days. Um, but the real important thing is if the, the, the spouses, the kids, the, the friends and colleagues say things like, I don't see you anymore, or you're married to your device, Pay close attention to, because that means there's not work-life balance. There's not work-life wisdom. There's not integration. You're giving your power away. That's a good statement. Very bold statement there. So, um, Also, it's recently a lot of um, talk has been, and I've read a lot about it, but it's about self-care. Um, so I know you're a big, big advocate for self-care. And so um, can you describe in your terms, what what you say self-care is. Yeah, again, great, great topic. Um, and this is a, a term that's been around for a long time, mostly for people in the allied health professions like the nurses and doctors who always put other people first and don't take care of themselves. And so you know, up before the pandemic, I got to tell you this, that like people, when they heard the term self-care, they thought, oh, bubble baths and massages and scented candles. And yes, that's good. That's a good start. Don't get me wrong. But self-care is also um, healthy boundaries saying no phone calls after nine o'clock. Self-care is going outside for a breath of fresh air for your, uh, your, your lunch hour. Self-care is 
saying, I'm not going to binge watch uh, four hours of uh, a Bridgerton. I just I'm going to just do one episode and then I'm going to read a book or, or, um, or write a letter to somebody. Um, so self-care really is, is um, personal balance. And, it's, and there's so many ways in which we can talk about self-care, whether it's nutrition, whether it's sleep. Sleep is huge. We've got to talk about that. Um, whether it's um, t- time with friends. Uh, a lot of people didn't have the ability to meet up with friends because all the restaurants and, and coffee houses were closed for a while there. But now they're back open again. And now what friends are saying, and even kids, I heard a story on NPR about kids who say they're turning off their screen devices and saying, let's meet outside and just go for a walk. And I'm like, that's self-care. <laughs> that is great. So self-care is it's putting yourself uh, not first, but but equal to all the other things so that you don't be, uh, drain your power away. And there's a wonderful expression in the self-care industry that says you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't give to somebody else if you've got nothing to give yourself. And so a lot of self-care before the pandemic was how to fill your cup up so you have something for yourself. But Susie, now what we now know with with all the trauma and the pandemic and all this stuff, now what we're saying is before you fill that cup up, repair the cracks. Repair the cracks. You know, there's a wonderful expression. I, I, I know everyone in the audience has, has seen this or heard this somewhere. I think it's called, um, it's a Japanese term called, I think it's called, I want to say Suzuki, but that's not right. But it's where they actually have a, a clay pot that has a crack in it, and they'll fill the crack with gold. Or they'll fill the crack with turquoise. And then they get done with it, and it's it's beautiful. But that's not how it was meant to be. It was, you know, it's supposed to be like a, a whole piece of a, you know, a, a, a cup or pot but because of the crack whatever the reason and that crack is a metaphor for our trauma and how can we heal our trauma how can we heal those things so that when we pour water back into the metaphorical cup we don't spring a leak and hemorrhage or energy everywhere i love that statement love that um so one of the one of your passions in the topic of stress uh it is also about spirituality, stress and the human spirituality. Uh, can you share some of your insights on that on that topic? Yeah, I, you know, I my focus on wellness is not just broccoli and aerobics or the 21st century kale and CrossFit. Um, my topic on wellness, the way in which I perceive it, is the integration, balance, and harmony of mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And you know, for the past 40 years. Um, I've been advocating spiritual well-being, spiritual health, and it's not the same thing as religion, although they definitely have some common ground. But um, spirituality, if you were to talk to the shamans, the sages, the wisdom keepers, the healers of all times, all cultures, all languages, and ask them, what exactly is human spirituality all about? You're going to hear them say three things all the time, relationships, values, and a meaningful purpose in life. I'll say it again, relationships values and a meaningful purpose in life and so i'm going to put a challenge out to the audience here if you get a chance get a piece of paper and pen or if you want on your computer write down your top 10 stressors okay top 10 stressors. if you only have three don't make them seven if you got 49 just give me 10 but take a look at your top 10 stressors issues concerns problems and put a check mark next to everyone that involves a relationship put a check mark next to everyone that involves a value or value conflict like privacy versus uh, freedom. 
or freedom versus responsibility. Put a check mark next to every stress that involves a meaningful purpose in life. And if you're honest with yourself, I guarantee you're going to have everything checked off your list, sometimes more than once. So is there a relationship between stress and spirituality? Yes, there definitely is in terms of relationships, values, and a meaningful purpose in life. And so when I learned this, gosh, like about, I don't know, 50 years ago now, I thought to myself, this is, this is important. We can't just talk about broccoli and aerobics because although that's important too, that's not the whole wellness uh, genre. We got to talk about emotional well-being. We got to talk about mental well-being, clarity. So we got to talk about um, relationships, values, and purpose in life. And so I am a big advocate of this. And now what we're seeing, Susie, is this. A lot of people in this time period, I bet people in the audience have heard this term before. During the pandemic, it was a thing called the Great Resignation. People quit their jobs in mass. And then it got known as the great renegotiation. People who came back said, um, when they interviewed, um, this is what I, my demands are. I want to make sure I've got time for my family and my kids and myself. And so what we now know is that there's an idea of a, a meaningful purpose in life, which is core to not only why we're here on the planet, but how we can make um, our community better, how we can make our family better how we can feel as if we're making a contribution to the world that we're happy with. And, and I got to tell you something interesting. I learned this about purpose in life. Um, they have, this is I think before cell phones, so the, the data can be a little old, but go for the concept. Um, the number of one time people have heart attacks in the course of a week is Monday morning between the, eight, the hours of eight and 10. The joke is we're the only animal that can program ourselves to have a heart attack. Well, some people began to question these people who survived and said, you know, what's going on? And, of course, the first response was, you know, I'm not happy, I'm depressed, and that kind of thing. Um, but then they, they probed further and they found out that every person who had a heart attack who survived, they could talk to, they said, I feel like my life has no purpose. And so now we see a direct connection between a lack of purpose in one's life and your physical health. The two are, go hand in hand. And so by not acknowledging the spiritual dimension to health and well-being, I think we do a gross injustice to the topic of wellness because we're more than just um, you know, physical beings. Broccoli aerobics is not the whole um, aspect to it all, or Kayla Crossman, as I say. Um, so uh, this is one reason why I'm so um, uh, passionate about the topic of spiritual well-being and how it relates to health and well-being. And so now, I got to tell you, a lot of people are asking themselves a very important question. You know, why am I here? What contribution can I make to the world to make it a better place? That's the you know the epitome of a, a spiritual quest, if you will. And and so um, when we have all these changes in the world right now that are seem like existential crises, we ask ourselves. Where do I fit in? How can I make? How can how can my little two cents of of um, turn the water faucet off when I brush my teeth have an impact on climate change? Well, that's an important question to ask, and and by asking ourselves that question, we then expand our, our awareness to think how we can better fit into the world and have a contribution to make. Very good. Good. This is good stuff. Brian. <laughs> uh, all right. So now we're going to get on that topic of sleep. It looks like you've written a new book about sleep. Um, do you want to share some of your insights from your book? Yes. Well, we could spend hours on this too. Over 50% of the American population does not get a good night's sleep on a regular basis. That is not good. 
That that's horrible, actually. By not getting a good night's sleep, we compromise our immune system. And if there's one thing I want everyone to get out of this presentation today, it's this: this podcast is what can we do to nurture a healthy immune system? Now, there's three things we know that that negate a healthy immune system: poor sleep, poor nutrition. And stress. And I gotta tell you, that's not like everybody I know. So, um, how do we get a good night's sleep? Well, one thing comes down to healthy boundaries. We wanna try and see if we can get to, to um, bed at the same time every night. Uh, circadian rhythms are very important there. Um, we now know with technology, and there's all kinds of data that back us up. Why this is not headline news, I don't know. But um, the vibrations that come off of the router, your your uh, your router for your computers, um, they give off a vibration. And sometimes we think, oh, if we can't see it, it doesn't exist. Well, <laughs> these exist. They're called ELFs, extremely low frequency vibrations. And this negates the pineal gland's ability to make melatonin. We all need melatonin to get a good night's sleep. But if your melatonin ability has been compromised, and cell phones can do this, as well as um, Wi-Fi routers, um, we're not going to get a good night's sleep. So what I tell people is turn off your Wi-Fi router, put it on a power strip, or turn it off before you go to bed. You know, we all have a night routine. You know, we lock the doors, put the dog out to pee, turn off the lights, crawl in the covers. Add to that routine, turn off the Wi-Fi router. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we can spend a lot of time on sleep. Maybe we can do that some other time here. But I can't impress upon the audience how important it is to get a good night's sleep. And here's one more thing, which I think is important too. We now know that people who don't get a good night's sleep have an accumulation of waste products in their brain um, that is the precursor to Alzheimer's. These are called amyloid tissues. Amyloid's a waste product. And you have cells in your body. Here's, here's a Jeopardy question. What cells in your brain remove the, the waste products? And the answer is, what is a glial cell? Okay, so glial cells clean your brain out, but they're only active at nighttime. They're only active when you sleep. So, um, and we now know the people who don't get a good at sleep, they've got poor memory, poor reaction time, poor communication skills, poor comprehension, all kinds of aspects of compromised uh, cognition there. So a good night's sleep is important. And, you know, it's like you spent a third of your life doing this. We got to really we got to really make it count. I agree. I agree so much. And um, just even struggling sometimes my own self uh, on certain nights, I have a hard time getting asleep. And mm -hmm. so I have to I always look back at what I did. When did I shut off my phones? But I'm going to try the shutting off the, the router. That's actually a good, good idea. Um, all right. So um, what is digital toxicity? I've heard you talk about this, especially is there digital wellness? Uh, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, first I want to say I love technology. Um, I can't do that when I my career without it, but um, need to have a healthy relationship with it. And, and digital toxicity is when we basically um, – spend too much time with screen devices to the point that we wire our brains for stress. You know, there's a term called doom scrolling, which I, I thought, when I first heard it, I thought to myself, oh, that's pretty good. And I thought, oh, that's not good at all. But I mean, you're constantly looking through your social media to see what new disaster there is on the horizon or what new headline. You wire your brain for stress to be hypervigilant. And hypervigilance is a, a characteristic of PTSD. And so, one way in which we can actually 
detox from, from technology is to have healthy boundaries with it, not to take our cell phones with us wherever we go, uh, have some time to unplug from this. And so digital wellness is a very comprehensive um, topic right now, which could be its own podcast, I suppose. But part of that is to have healthy boundaries and unplug from this. Now, we now know, Susie, that people who are on their cell phones all the time, um, they don't have good um, long-term memory skills. They've, they've actually um, um, outsourced their memory to their device, like GPS devices, you know? Wow. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I guess someone from from our generation, I know I do landmarks and I, you know, I, I look for and have to use my brain to, to look for, you know, a, a route to go and those kind of things. But so many people just depend on that device to and they don't have to use those cognitive skills to try to uh, to get where they're going. So that that's amazing uh, what you were saying about that. So how do you personally relax? Oh, gosh. I get up every morning and I go for a walk in nature, um, come back and I take a shower and I meditate for about a half an hour. And then I, uh, I go for a swim around noontime, so I get some exercise in. Uh, so I do some nature therapy, some some um, some mindfulness meditation, some some exercise. I go out for um, some I call male bonding, but it's like social time with my my friends there. And then I I think a sense of humor is important too. I my wife says to me, she goes, "You're your own best audience," but I'm always laughing at something. And so. Um, uh, yeah, life is tough. I, I've had a tough life. I, I won't go into details about that, but I will tell you that humor has been one of my best coping techniques to to bring things back to balance. Yes, I love humor. I do. Um, all right. So any other things you want to add to today that you'd like to close with? Yeah, first I want to say thanks. I, I've really enjoyed this time together. And um, I think that if, if there's w- one take-home message, I think we had about 47 of them. But one is, is where in where in your life can we make one small change to come back to balance? Just try and get that under your belt and practice that for 30 days. That's how long it takes to actually get rewire the brain for, for a new habit. And then just... And think to yourself, this is how I can come back to balance. And if you can do just one thing, take one thing you've heard in this podcast and apply it to your life, the world is going to be a better place. Thank you for being with us today. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Seward's insights on the topic of managing stress and burnout. Thank you for listening to For the Health of It. For more wellness tips, information, and videos, visit the Thrive webpage. For questions, contact us at thrive at omes.ok.gov. Okay.